as she comes up this morning. Good morning, everybody. For those who I haven't had the opportunity to meet, I'm Lisa, and I've been married to Mike for 37 years this summer. He's, on, um, he's preaching at a retreat this uh, weekend in uh, New Jersey, but I know he's busy praying for me right now. So he's praying over this service. I know he's probably praying for me more than he's praying for himself this morning. So uh, I am not speaking from Joshua, but I'm going to lead out in a passage about Elijah. So if you'll just bow your heads with me and I'll pray. Lord, I thank you that this passage has been a gift to me, that you've given me over these past six, seven weeks. And now, Lord, I offer it as a gift to you and to your people. I ask that you'll speak, Lord, that you'll use this passage and that it'll go deep into our hearts and it'll change us. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to talk about Elijah today. And I'm, uh, if you all have this little flyer, I put the passage on here so that you can follow along. I put my points there. So let me just read to you. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything had, that Elijah had done, how he'd killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, that's almost 70 miles, he left his servant there. And while he himself, he went by himself and went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, and he sat under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. And he said, get up and eat for the journey's too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went to a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Then Elijah heard it. He pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back 
the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram, anoint Jehu king, son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphai to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel. Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 all of Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. I'm going to start off by reading a story. It's by uh, Letty Kalman. I don't know, some of you might have read her book, Streams in the Desert. So she's a famous devotional writer, and this is from her book, Springs in the Valley. She says, in the deep jungles of Africa, a traveler came, and he was making a long trek. African tribesmen had been engaged to carry the loads and act as guides for the journey. The first day of the journey, they marched very rapidly, and they went far. They made amazing time. The travelers had high hopes that they would have a speedy journey. But the second morning, these same jungle tribesmen refused to move. For some strange reason, they just sat there and rested. On inquiry as to the reason for this strained behavior, the travelers were informed that they'd gone way too fast the first day. And the African tribesmen said, now we are waiting for our souls to catch up to our bodies. <laughs> Isn't that what we feel like in this fast-paced life? We're waiting for our souls to catch up to our bodies. And here's what Letty Kalman goes on to say in her devotional. The whirling, rushing life live does for us what the first march did for those poor jungle tribesmen. The difference is they knew what they needed. They knew how to restore life's balance. Too often, we do not. See, in this uh, crazy, rushing life, we get tired and worn out. And when we look at Elijah's life, we think he must be worn out because he's running from Jezebel, and it says he ran almost 70 miles. He collapsed exhausted underneath a broom tree. And I believe as he collapsed there, he was waiting for his soul to catch up to his body. So um, I think if Elijah had, was talking to a counselor today, if he told a counselor all his symptoms, if he told a counselor what he went through, the counselor would look at him and diagnose uh, Elijah as going through burnout. He's stressed, he's weary, he's emotionally depleted, and he looks, he looks so pathetic because here's this strong man who just uh, faced all the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, but now he's collapsed and he's afraid he's going to die. So <clears throat> this message is all about how do we walk through burnout. And I kind of focused on this for the last six or seven weeks, especially when I was uh, on my vacation in Hawaii. You see, Elijah had gone three years. He had three years completely dependent upon God. He had declared over the whole land of Israel, there'll be no rain for three years. And at his declaration, there was no rain and no dew that fell for three years. He had not moved apart from God's leading and apart from God's instruction. He, then he also, just a few days later before the passage I read to you, he had this amazing encounter on Mount Carmel. He had this spectacular showdown between him and the priest of Baal. So uh, here's kind of how this contest goes. 
He looks at the 450 priests of Baal and he said, let's have a contest. Uh, let's build two altars. We'll have two, two bulls. We'll cut them up, put them on the altar. Both of us will go before our God. And the God who answers by fire, he'll be the one who's the true God. So uh, Baal's prophets decide, okay, well, we'll do this. So it was 450 priests and prophets against the one prophet, Elijah. So they have the two, uh, two bulls set up, and uh, the priests of Baal, they start in the morning. They start calling out to their god, Baal, to come and let the fire fall. And nothing happens, so Elijah taunts, he taunts them. He's like, uh, maybe your god's gone out. Maybe he's not at work today. Maybe he's asleep. He taunts them and prods them. Then the priest, they're getting so frustrated, they begin to scream, dance, cut themselves, but still nothing happens. And uh, after about three or four hours, the priest of Baal, they give up. Then Elijah takes 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel, and he rebuilds the altar of the Lord. He puts the bull on that altar, and not only does he do that, but then he calls the people to bring four barrels of water, and they pour the water over the offering, not once, not twice, three times. And so after all of this, he calls out to God, and he says, God, let everyone know today that you are the God, the God of Israel, and that I'm your servant. And as he prays out to God, fire falls. It takes the whole bull, it takes all of the wood, it burns up all of the uh, rocks, and it burns up all of the water. And everyone knows God is the God of Israel. So the people fall to the ground and they say, the Lord, the Lord, he is God, he is God. And then Elijah tells them, now kill the prophets of Baal. And 450 prophets that day of Baal were slaughtered. But the, the story doesn't stop here. Then Elijah said to Ahab, it's going to rain today. And he goes up to Mount Carmel and he begins to pray and ask for rain. And it, uh, Elijah sends his servant out seven times. Do you see any clouds yet? No. The, the, his servant comes back and forth seven times. And finally, the seventh time, his servant says, I see a small cloud. It's like the size of a man's hand. And then that cloud begins to grow. The sky turns black and the rain pours over the land of Israel. The drought ends after three years. So here's what I want you to know. Baal was the god of the storm. So he was the god of the rain. He was the god of the lightning and the fire. And this day it was declared... God was over the storm. God, the Lord, Jehovah, he was the one who was over fire. Baal could not bring fire and he could not bring rain. Only the Lord God, could, Jehovah, could do so in the land of Israel. Amen. So Elijah, he had these great expectations. This wonderful things happened. So surely Ahab and Jezebel are going to repent. This great thing has happened. Baal's been overthrown. Everyone in revival would come and worship the Lord God. He, 
he had this great idea. Now Jehovah will be seen throughout the land. But that's not the response he got. He was expecting it would be on CNN and everyone would turn. But no, instead what he got was a threat from Jezebel. I'll kill you this day. Tomorrow you won't be alive. I'll do to you what you did to my prophets. It's not the, it's not the response, response he wanted. He saw God come in might and come in power, but he did not see what he wanted in the land. So he's stunned, he's overwhelmed, he's spent, and the combination of all of this has brought him to a place of burnout. He's weary, he's tired, he's run over 70 miles. He's got unmet expectations. So it brought Elijah to this point of depression. And, you know, we're all kind of like that, right? We have these great expectations, and when they don't come, we fall, and we fall hard. So I've got some uh, signs of burnout I want to think about today and how Elijah displays those signs of burnout. So first of all, he's running on an empty tank. Now, we'd all be running on an empty tank if we ran 70 miles, right? He's at his low point physically, but he's also at his low point spiritually because he's given all he had. I, I hate it when you run out of gas. I hate it when my husband's driving and, you know, you're almost out of glass. It's just that nervous, horrible place. So when we were in Hawaii and our families were all together, we all had rental cars. And um, my uh, family's home, where we're staying at my sister's, is like up in the mountains. It's like 20 miles away from the nearest city. You have to go round and round these cliffs. And so my little brother who lives in Brooklyn didn't notice that his car was on empty. So we get to the house the night before the funeral. The funeral's at 10 o'clock in the morning. He's like, I have no gas. We're like, well, you're not going to get down that hill. There's no gas stations for 20 miles. And we all went looking every nook and cranny in the garage trying to find this little bit of gas so that my brother and his family can make it to the funeral. We hate it when we're running on empty. It is that uncomfortable place. And when we're in that place, we uh, tend to lose sight of who we are in Christ. We put ourselves down mentally. Oh, I can't believe I did that. We have this little voice in our head that says, nothing I do ever works. I don't count. I'm insignificant. Nothing works the way I expect it. It plays over and over in our mind, this negative tape. And when we begin to hear that negative tape, often it's a sign of burnout. Uh, Elijah, in uh, verse 4, he came to that broom tree, he sat down under it, and he said, take my life, Lord, I'm no better than my ancestors. You know, co comparison is a very difficult thing that we do when we're in burnout. So what we do is we take our, our weakest point and we compare it to our friend's strongest point. And, of course, our weakness will never compare to someone else's strength. But when we're in burnout, we lose that perspective. And we play the comparison game, which is a deadly game. And then when we get tired of comparing ourselves, we begin to criticize ourselves. I knew this would never work. I never do it right. And then we begin to look at our dashed expectations. Oh, I wanted this to happen, and it didn't happen. And we just, our burnout seems like we get stuck. 
uh, it's easy to move from comparing yourself and criticizing yourself and to, to just get stuck there. We tell ourselves, I should have done that. I must do this. I've got to do that. And when we tell ourselves all of those things, we eclipse what God is doing in our lives by focusing negatively on what we're doing. You know, a lot of times burnout is about we don't understand our limitations or our abilities. See, Elijah was this great prophet, and he was this great teacher. And so he preached with all of his heart for Israel to turn back to God. But he thought it was also his responsibility to make it happen. And he taught with all of his heart, but it was not his responsibility, and it was not his ability to make them turn back to the Lord. And, you know, I have to confess, I do that too. I do it with my kids, you know. I give him this great talk on the phone, and I expect next time I talk to him, everything's going to line up, and it doesn't. I do that sometimes when I meet with you all. It's like, Lord, I prayed and prayed. I know next time I see him, everything's going to change. But see, it's all in the hands of the Lord. It's not in our hands. It's like the Atlas syndrome. You remember Atlas? He carried the world on his shoulders. We think it's all up to us. We think we have to do everything. And these lies trap us in burnout. Another sign of burnout is that we have distorted thinking. We overemphasize the negative. Elijah says, I'm the only one left, Lord, and they're trying to kill me. He's saying the whole world, all of Israel's out to kill him. Now, if you remember the story, who was out to kill him? Jezebel. But see, the distorted thinking, he's like, oh, all of them are out to kill me. He prayed down a three-year drought. He called down fire from God. But when he got emotionally tired, he was having trouble seeing things aright. You know, it's not just bad things that wear us out, you know. He was worn out from doing battle on Mount Carmel. He was worn out from holding off the rain for three years. It was, it's not just bad things that bring us to the point of burnout. You know, Mike and I were in Hawaii. We're resting every day, sleeping eight, nine hours, going to the beach every day, relaxing. And uh, all of a sudden, Mike says, I feel all tight. My muscles hurt. And I'm like, how can your muscles hurt? We're, we're not doing anything. <laughs> so... Now, I told you, my sister's house is, it's over these beautiful cliffs, you know, looking over the water, but you have to go round and round this mountain, and so in many places, it's like one lane, and you're looking over a cliff, and one way is the water, you know, the ocean, and then you go around the cliff again, and the other way is a ravine with these beautiful waterfalls, but you can fall off. So finally, we realized, you know, after a couple of days, Mike has been holding the steering wheel when he's driving so hard that his muscles have tensed up. See, even good things can make us all tired. So this is what Elijah says, Lord, I'm the only one left. And at the end of this passage, we learn that's not true. God tells Elijah later, there are 7,000 who haven't bent the knee. See, when we are this tired, we are distorted. And we can't see the truth. We feel like, because I feel like it's true, then it must be true. Another difficult consequence of burnout is that we withdraw. So Elijah's going to Beersheba, but he leaves his servant behind. 
his servant who's been with him three years, when he's at his weakest point and can use his servant most, he tells his, his servant, no, you stay here, and he goes by himself. Don't we do that when we're burnt out? We're like, I don't want to see anybody. I want to pull the covers up over my head. And I think, you know, it's like Elijah's in the ministry, right? And he's like, I don't need a servant anymore because I'm leaving the ministry. I've had it. I'm ready to quit. So he tells his servant, you stay here. And then he says, I pray that I will die because I've had enough. You know, disillusionment, it's a painful experience. We get to this place where we are disillusioned and we don't want to dream again. It's like the dream hurt too much when it doesn't come. So we don't only grieve over the dream that we've seen fall apart. We decide, I'm never going to dream again. We're tempted when we're in burnout. You know, we could have prepared for ministry for years, but we're tempted when we're burnout to walk away for that which we love and have prepared for. There could have been a relationship that we had prayed and asked, God, I want this relationship, but it gets hard and difficult, and we're like, I'm walking away. It's too hard. See, when we're in burnout, we're ready to walk away from the very things that are the most precious to us. We run, and we're like Elijah. We run and sit under a tree, and we have a pity party. So this summer... Um, and over maybe the last 18 months, I kind of felt like I was in a place of burnout. Uh, after Mike's heart surgery, my dad passing away, my son's divorce became final, my daughter struggling with infertility and trying to adopt a baby. The needs of this church as it's growing, it's all good, but it wears you out. And so I want to thank all of you because you let me run away to Hawaii I was under a palm tree, but we all need that place to run to, right? So I looked at this passage uh, for a couple weeks while I was on my trip. And so I want to talk to you about how do you walk out of burnout. And so these are kind of the lessons that I learned from Elijah of how you walk out of burnout. All right, so three things. If you're going to walk out of burnout, you have to go through the desert and let God touch you personally. If you're going to go through burnout, you go to the cave and you meet God and you let his revelations come. And if you're going to go through burnout, you have to walk back the way you came, but you walk with a new anointing. So the first one is there's touches of grace in the desert. I love this because the text tells us that the Lord, through an angel, touched Elijah twice. He's so tender. He's so patient. Remember the story where uh, Jesus is healing somebody and he touches him and he says, now how do you see? He says, well, I see like men walking like trees. So he touched him again so he could see. Sometimes we need more than one touch. And God patiently meets Elijah in this place and he says, sleep. I've got some food for you. There's nothing I like better than hot baked bread. And when Elijah wakes up, that's the smell that hits him. There's water by his head. He drinks, eats, and then the, the angel wakes him up again. Eat, eat, and then again he sleeps. In verse 7, it says the visitor is called the angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, that's a title for the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead. 
Jesus so cares about Elijah, he comes personally. He visits him personally, providing food and telling him to rest. God doesn't take our burnout. Uh, he doesn't ignore it. We ignore it, but God takes it seriously. So um, I like this part, and this is one of the verses that got to me uh, while I was on my trip. It says, Elijah got up and ate, and he drank, and he was strengthened by that food, and he traveled 40 days and 40 nights on that food. I'm like, Lord, what kind of food do we need to eat that will keep us going for 40 days and 40 nights? Lord, I need that food. See, that's what I'm telling them on vacation. Lord, I need that food that will sustain me. I need that food that will keep me going for 40 days. It made me think about this verse in Isaiah. It's one of my favorite verses. And it's funny, when I pray for spiritual gifts, I pray as Isaiah 50, verse 4. It says, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. And I've, I've asked the Lord, Lord, if you give me a gift, could you make it that I will know the word sustains the weary men and women we live in an exhausted place where people are worn out and tired they don't feel like they can make it they feel like their schedules are are like crashing in on them we live among children who are worn out from homework and the demands on their life and God says there's a food that will sustain you and God says there's a word that will sustain the weary. We can change New York if we know that food and if we know that word. But more importantly, we can change ourselves if we eat of that food and if we give that word. So if you want to walk out a burnout, you've got to go through the desert and you've got to let him give you rest and you've got to eat of him. The next thing is if you want to work, walk through burnout, you've got to go through the cave. Now, everybody needs to do cave time. Everybody needs a place of retreat. Instead of Elijah, he went to the cave and he spent the night. You can't walk through burnout without spending some nights in the cave. Nothing about our last victory guarantees the next victory. And when we're faced with a new threat that we haven't been expecting, we need stillness. We need to get away in order to position ourselves for the next battle. So Elijah comes to this cave. He's doing his cave time. I don't know why. I like that. <laughs> in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, cave time is so important it can either be a holy time or it can be a time where i'm hiding the one who decides how the cave time goes is me so um when elijah gets in this cave god asks him two questions so i love that about scripture when he's going through the desert he gets two touches when he's in the cave he gets two questions and the lord comes to him and says elijah what are you doing here now, when God asks us a question, it's not because he needs the information. It's because we do. 
And so God's saying, why are you here, Elijah? Because there's no, there's no good that's going to come if Elijah doesn't know why he's in that cave, right? Isn't that true for us? The good that comes is when we know why we're there. And so Elijah gives the same answer twice. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord. Now, the first time you kind of get it by, the second time it sounds whiny. <laughs> I've been very zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected your coven, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Doesn't it sound whiny? It reveals both his pride and self-pity. Because see, when you get tired, when you get exhausted, you get to this point where you're nursing your pride, you're nursing your pity, instead of focusing on what you need. And so that's why cave time's so important, because you got to change your perspective, right? And uh, that's what the cave allows us to do, because he is exhausted, he is tired. The only way he's going to change his perspective is when he sees God. And so that's what Elijah's there for, to encounter God. Now, <clears throat> Mount Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. So the same place they believe that Moses met God in the cleft of the rock, they believe Elijah's gone to this very same place. <laughs> He's gone there to encounter the glory of God. He's gone there to say, I can't look at my circumstances anymore because if I do, I'll be crushed. The only way I'm going to walk out of this burnout is if my eyes lift and I see you, Lord God. See, the glory of God is about to pass him by. And uh, caves are places where we meet God. It's where we meet God in his glory. It's where Moses met God. And there's this funny story where Jezebel's trying to kill off all of God's prophets. And Obadiah takes a hundred prophets and he hides them in two caves. And he brings them food and he supplies them with water. See, cave is where we see the glory of God. And caves are where God hides us and saves us. <clears throat> and the, even though he's gone to see the glory of God... Sometimes God displays his glory in such interesting ways. You know, he passes bef before Moses, and, and Moses can't even look at his glory. He just has to look at the behind. But this is how it says he comes to Elijah. Okay? He displays this great wind. Let me read it to you. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. There was a great and powerful wind. It tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Our God is so tender. He knows what we need to refuel and to fill us. You know, for some reason I get this picture of God's presence, and it's like sometimes his presence comes so dramatically and falls. It's like a fire hydrant, you know, all, all of that force gushing out. But he knows when we're tired and when we're exhausted, what we need is that steady, soft filling. <laughs> 
The Lord comes to Elijah in this way because that's what Elijah needs. God's telling him, you know, my still small voice, listen to me. That's what will sustain you. You know, you've worked, Elijah, through the wind. Elijah, you've seen the earthquake. Elijah, you've called down the fire. But what you need right now is my still small voice. The Lord isn't condemning his courageous minister. He's just saying, I'm going to meet you where you need me to meet you. Lastly, Elijah hears from the Lord, go back the way you came. And go back and anoint Hazel and Jehu and Elisha. God's giving to his prophet a new message. And he's saying, okay, you used to meet uh, the people of God. You used to meet Israel and you tore down the altars of Baal and you confronted their sin and you called them back to me. But now, instead of this ministry of confrontation, I'm going to give you this ministry of rebuilding. And he says, you've got to anoint the next generation. So he anoints Hazel, and then he anoints Jehu, and he anoints his own successor, Elisha, to be prophet. You know, sometimes the work that refreshes us is to rebuild. It's hard to tear things down. It's hard to tear down those old sinful places. But God told Elijah, go back the way you came, but now go with this new ministry of building back up. Now, if you look at it, these three people, they weren't like the cream of the crop. Hazel was a servant to, to King Behadad, uh, so he becomes the king of Syria. Jehu was a captain in the army. He wasn't of royal blood, but the Lord says, anoint him to be king. And he says, anoint Elisha. Elisha was a farmer, and he found him while he was plowing, and he says, anoint this farmer to be the prophet of God. See, God... God, when we're anointing, we have no idea who he's going to use. But these were the people God used to clean up the worship of Baal from the land of Israel. And so um, by the time that they finished their ministry, Baal worship was almost devastated throughout the land. See, Elijah thought, oh, I'll meet you on Mount Carmel. We'll have this dramatic encounter Fire will fall from heaven and Baal worship will be gone. But that's not how it happened. No, God anointed three nobodies to come clean up the mess. You know, it's almost like when it's almost like Elijah knocked down the tree, but then they came in and raked it up and, you know, cut it all to pieces and carried it off. I hate cleanup, don't you? <laughs> Poor Ashley, she's gone, so I can say this. <laughs> I hate when we have a, oh, an event and then we have to clean it all up. I love all the planning and getting it ready, but you got cleanup that has to, to happen after an event. The Lord told Elijah, I'm in charge of the cleanup. I'm going to have you anoint the very people who will take care of that cleanup. Isn't part of our burnout because we're tired of cleaning up the messes behind us? And the Lord God says, he's the one who's in charge of cleanup. He's a really good God. I like this passage because I'm needing to figure out how to walk out of this burnout. I'm needing this new place of anointing. Now, remember, how did I tell you the passage started? 
Jezebel, after Mount Carmel, sent a messenger to Elijah, and she said, you won't live to see tomorrow. I will kill you for what you've done. So I want to read to you how God responds to threats from the enemy. And I'm going to read to you from 2 Kings chapter 2. Because Elijah, he's anointed the next generation. He's at this point mentored Elisha and he's become a powerful prophet. And here's what happened. Elijah took his cloak, he rolled it up and he struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and left and the two of them, they crossed over on dry ground. And when they crossed, Elijah said, Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. As they were walking along, talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. What was the threat of Jezebel? Tomorrow you'll die. What's the truth? Elijah never died. Elijah, Elijah never saw death. The Lord took him up to heaven and he made a joke out of Jezebel's threats. Elijah never tasted death and the enemy's threat never came to happen. See, God stands up when we're threatened. God stands up and moves. He can handle the threat. And we look at it and we're like, but Lord, that's Elijah. I'm not anything like Elijah. No, what does James tell us? Elijah was a man just like you. And what does the Lord tell us? You're more than conquerors because of me. We never I was thinking about that song that Gabe was praying, uh, playing at the end. It says, uh, I know heaven. See, heaven lives in me. We're like Elijah. We'll never taste death. And not only that, you know, Elijah struggled through this time of burnout, right? He was empty. He was tired. He was defeated. But when he left and was taken up to heaven, a double portion, mantle, fell on his successor, fell on the one he mentored. He didn't leave this world empty. He left this world leaving a double portion. Yes, we face burnout. Yes, we walk through these things, but God does not leave us in this place. He went from the place of empty, tired, physically depleted. He went to the place of double portion. And God gives you the double portion to give it away. He doesn't give you the double portion to hoard it. So today, if you're like me, or if you're ministering to people in that place of burnout, here's what I want you to think about. you got to walk through the desert and let him touch you. you got to walk to that cave and do some cave time and let him reveal himself to you. And you don't run away from the place where you've been. No, you walk back the way you came. But you do it receiving a new anointing. I think what I want to do just as we close, I'd like Gabe to sing that song again about heaven. Is it? I'm sorry, Gabe. Am I asking a big thing? 
And I want us to sing and let the anointing fall on us. The new anointing that we need to have to walk out of our burnout. And then I'll pray as Gabe finishes. Let's stand together and sing it. Sickness in my body, like no prison walls can hold. 
open up your arms and your hands and I'll pray for you to close. Lord God, I pray over these people that they will be a people who overcome burnout and they'll lead others out of burnout. I pray that they will know the touches that come in the desert, the revelations that come to them in the cave, and that you will give them a new anointing so they can walk back where they came from as new people. Pour out your spirit upon these people. And I pray that not only them and their houses and their children, but in this region, burnout will be overcome. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So